0: 1 Corinthians chapter 14, oh yep, thank you, uh, children's devotion. So if you have children between the ages of four and seven, and it would bless you uh, to let your children go for a devotion during the sermon, you can release them at this time and um, if they're good, they'll be brought back at the end of the sermon. Otherwise, we will keep them till next Sunday. So 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 14, our sermon text is verses 26-26. Uh, through 40. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We'll start reading here in just a second starting in verse 26. Uh, The book of 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul. He was writing to a church he had started in Corinth in Greece. They were having some problems now and so Paul wrote this letter back to this church in Corinth. Let's go ahead and pray before we read. Father, as we just turn to your scriptures and just celebrate, Father, um, your realness, your presence with us in and through the Holy Spirit, um, we would just ask now as we look in the scriptures that uh, you would bless us in and through the Spirit, that you, Father, who breathed out this book for our good, that you, Father, would now bless us um, in and through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Starting in verse 26, Paul says, "'What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God.' Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. But should be in submission as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn. Let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual. He should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you. Are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this. He is not recognized. So my brothers. Earnestly desire to prophesy. And do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Amen. You know, in order for a home to function well, without chaos, you need some house rules uh, to ensure that everyone in your home stays civil, uh, picks things up, Uh, simply stays alive in your home. Uh, I know because we have five kids, a seven-person home, and without rules, it is utter madness. Uh, So people have house rules. You may have some house rules yourself. Uh, Maybe even on your wall at home, things like this. Say please and thank you. Love each other. Wait your turn, and so on. Or, Or this. If you sleep on it, make it up. If it rings, answer it. And I love the two at the bottom. If it whines, feed it. If it cries, love it. Or you men might want to simplify. Here it is. One, the wife is always right. Two, if the wife is wrong, see rule one. Which means your wife is right. Or maybe you have a pool. You are not allowed to do anything that begins with the words, hey, y'all, watch this. Just good house rules so things function, stay clean, no untimely deaths. And the same goes for the body of Christ. We need some good house rules with our spiritual gifts. I'm Finishing here today, as we've already heard, this sermon series on 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 on the spiritual gifts. When you come to Christ in faith and you're now following Christ in faith, the Holy Spirit now lives in you and the Spirit begins to empower you with different spiritual gifts. But the church, like any family, needs house rules that govern how we use those gifts so things function well. So things don't erode into chaos. Which, it seems, is what had happened back in Corinth. The Christians there in Corinth had apparently been blessed with some amazing spiritual gifts, but they weren't using those gifts in good ways. There was some chaos in that church. And so Paul, in these chapters here, he gives all believers some good house rules how to use our spiritual gifts when we're gathered together in any way. The number one rule that Paul gives, chapter 13 is love. All our spiritual gifts must be practiced in love for one another. And here now, at the end of chapter 14, the last thing that Paul says here about the spiritual gifts, he now gives some very practical house rules for how we should use two particular gifts when we're, t- we're, we're gathered together the gifts of tongues and prophecy. Paul's two main points here, uh, the two points we'll cover today, here they are up on the screen. Number one, Paul first gives us house rules for tongues, and number two, some house rules for prophecy. Now, the first thing we see here are some house rules for this spiritual gift of tongues. Paul starts here, however, with just this very general rule for all of our spiritual gifts. If you look again at verse 26, he says, What then, brothers, and the Greek word could be brothers and sisters, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. And I think Paul has just given us there a little snapshot of some of the worship services there in Corinth. One person had a hymn, Paul says, a song that they'd sing. One then brought a lesson, probably from the scriptures. One had a revelation or a prophecy. One spoke in tongues, all kinds of different things in their services. D.A. Carson said this, he says, it is clear that the the Corinthian service was not boring. There was just many different things in this service. Uh, Many different people participating in this worship service. Easier maybe to do that in their meetings than in ours because their meetings were much smaller. They met in a home. Much smaller gatherings. Everyone probably knew each other. Easier for many to participate. But it seems that it was also at times... A little bit chaotic in their services. So, Paul starts here with just a very general house rule. If you look again at the end of verse 26, he says, Let all things be done for building up. And it's just something that Paul has stressed all the way through these chapters here. Our spiritual gifts, whatever the Spirit gives us, they are for the common good of the church. So, we are to make sure that we do all things, including our spiritual gifts to build up others, to edify others, or as chapter 13 said, we must do all things in love for one another. So Paul gives this, this general house rule for all the spiritual gifts, But Paul then gives here some very practical house rules for the gift of tongues. How that gift of tongues might be used in the gathered meetings to build up other people. The gift of tongues, as I've described it here in this series, it's literally the gift of languages. It is the spirit-empowered ability to pray in a language that you don't know. It's a language, as verse 2 says, that neither the speaker nor the hearers understand. So it's an unknown language you are praying in, a spiritual form of prayer or praise, Paul says, that, as verse 4 says, it edifies the speaker, even though the speaker doesn't know the language. And Paul now gives some house rules for this gift, if you look at verse 27. He says, if any speak in a tongue, this gift of languages, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn." You ever been in a situation where everybody's just speaking over everybody else? Well, that were uh, that was um, the family meals at my house. Uh, a lot of times, as a kid, in my house, as as a family, uh, the meals were um, they were loud at times. Everyone just kind of speaking over everyone else, and. If you wanted to be heard, if you just wanted to survive at one of our family meals, you had to learn to talk on top of everybody else there. You wonder why I can get loud on Sunday mornings. I learned it as a kid, okay? So just give me a break. And, and, and it's apparently, this is what was going on in Corinth with these tongue speakers in their midst. Many people apparently praying out loud in unknown languages all at once, a noisy chaos. So Paul now says that only two or three in their gathered meetings should speak in these unknown languages, and each in turn, not speaking over others, but deferring to others, letting others speak. You know, one thing that we will see all the way through this text with, with these house rules, We see submission. In the body of Christ, you don't force yourself over other people. You don't force your gifts over other people, but you submit. You defer to other people. And one way we we do that in the body of Christ, right there, only two or three in a meeting speak in tongues, and each in turn. And Paul goes on to give another house rule here with tongues. If you look at the end of verse 27, he says, And let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret there in that meeting, let each of them keep silent in church, these tongue speakers, and speak to himself or herself and to God. When the church is gathered in any way, in our service here, or a prayer meeting or so on, all unknown languages, all tongues and this gift of Tongues, if spoken out loud, the Bible is clear. Those languages must be interpreted so that everybody can understand what was said. If you look in your Bible up at verse 13, Paul says this. He says, therefore, one who speaks in a tongue in a meeting should pray that he may interpret. If you have this gift of languages you think, and I know several here you think that you do, and you sense in some meeting that the Spirit is leading you to speak in an unknown tongue, Paul says you pray first, and you ask the Spirit to give you the interpretation, or the gift of interpretation, as Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 12. And you then, in a gathered meeting of the church, you speak in tongues, and you give the interpretation in English so everyone can be Edified. Or, say you're in a meeting where someone does just stand and speaks out in tongues in, in an unknown language of some sort. No interpretation. You don't stone the person. That's not love. But you would then ask for an interpretation from someone. Paul says in verse 27, let someone interpret. So you would pray for a gift of interpretation there that God would give somebody the interpretation of what was just prayed in tongues... So it could be spoken out in English. And verse 28 says, If no one there can interpret, the tongue speakers should keep silent in the church and pray in tongues only to themselves and to God. That's pretty clear. House rules for the gift of tongues. And listen, that right there is the first time in in this text here, the first of three times where Paul will tell someone to be silent in the gathered church. And it is a form of submission to be silent. If others, in this case, will not be built up by your tongues because no one is there to interpret the tongues, you submit. You remain silent with your tongues, which is love for other people because it would not edify them. So that's Point one here, Paul gives us just some practical house rules for the gift of tongues in the gathered meetings of the church. And point two then, Paul then here gives us some house rules for prophecy. And prophecy, as I've described, uh, this gift of prophecy, as I've described here in this series, is something God spontaneously brings to your mind, something that God uh, spontaneously impresses on a believer's a uh, uh, heart or consciousness uh it could be a word could be a picture or a, a dream or a vision a revelation as paul says in verse 30, the Holy Spirit revealing something to you that you would not have known unless the Spirit had revealed that to you, and you then share that with other people. We believe that is this gift of prophecy. Some Christians would prefer to call that maybe an impression or something. The Holy Spirit gives to a believer. I don't care what you call it. The Holy Spirit does those types of things. And the big difference between tongues, a gift of tongues, and this gift of prophecy as I've described it, the difference between them is intelligibility. Tongues is an unknown language. It edifies just the speaker unless it's interpreted. But prophecy is spoken in our language. is spoken in English, so it always edifies other people. The reason why Paul prioritizes prophecy when the church is gathered He said up in verse 1 that we should earnestly desire all of the spiritual gifts, but especially that we might prophesy because prophecy edifies everybody. And Paul now gives some basic house rules here for prophecy when the church is gathered. If you look again at verse 29, Paul says, Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. So, listen, just like with tongues now, Paul has limited prophecy in these gathered meetings. Only two or three, Paul says, giving prophecies in a meeting because he doesn't want the meetings dominated by tongues and prophecy. And the other believers there, Paul seems to be indicating, must weigh all the prophecies. The Greek word means that we evaluate a prophecy by paying careful attention to that prophecy. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 4:20. Uh, he says if you put that on the screen, he says do not despise prophecies in your church and your gather meetings, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. So we need to test all prophecies. We need to weigh them or, or to sift them. You know how people sift for gold? You're trying to sift out that which is not gold and you hold fast to that which is gold. And why do we test these prophecies, these, these things people feel that the Spirit might have revealed to them? They come to you personally or they, they may share something in a, in a prayer meeting. Uh, I think the Spirit has maybe revealed this to me. Why do we test these things? Because some or all of a so-called prophecy could be inaccurate. The, the spiritual gift as prophet, of prophecy, as we've seen in the series, it has three different elements. One, God reveals something to you. It could be a dream that God gives you a, at night. And coming from God, that, that dream is perfect. But two, you then interpret that dream. And you then verbalize. You, you, you speak that dream and you speak that interpretation to other believers. And the way you interpret and verbalize this thing that has come from God, well, you might not interpret and verbalize it perfectly accurately. We see that with Agabus, Acts 21. I've been preaching through Acts, so I will get back to that. We'll see it. Acts 21, Agabus received a prophetic revelation through the Spirit the, the scriptures say, received it from God about Paul's future persecution. But Agabus then interpreted, he, he, he verbalized what he had received from God. And some of the details that Agabus shares in Acts 21 are not accurate. So we weigh all prophecy. You sift it, sifting for gold, sifting for that which is good. And Paul says, First Thessalonians 4, you hold fast To that which is good. And the question then is well how do we weigh the prophecy? Against what standards do we test these things that Christians feel the the spirit has revealed to them? Well Sam Storms gives some helpful criteria by which we might test a prophecy. Here they are. Number one, scripture. Anything somebody would share to you that they say has been revealed to them by the Holy Spirit. You hold it against the word of God. Because all true prophecy will be an absolute conformity to the Word of God. No contradiction whatsoever. Number two way to test prophecy is edification. Paul says in verse 3 that prophecy will upbuild. It will encourage. It will console other people. So any so-called prophecy that just creates fear or that, 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 that just criticizes, or that just uh, disunifies the body of Christ, probably not from God. Another uh, uh, criterion here to, to test prophecy is uh, love. All the spiritual gifts should be motivated by, they should produce love when they're done correctly. And, and if a prophecy is genuine, it will do those things. It will pass the test of love. So if you see somebody who's sharing some sort of prophecy, but it appears to be motivated merely by selfishness, that person's just trying to get some recognition by sharing this thing, eh, I would hold very loosely to that thing that they call prophecy. Prophecy from the Spirit is motivated by and it produces love. And number four, we test prophecy in community with other believers. Not by yourself. The Bible says there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. So somebody shares something with you, you run that past your believing community, your fellow believers. Do they think it sounds accurate and biblical? And if they don't, I would encourage you not to run off after that so-called prophecy. Hold it very, very loosely. So just some criteria, maybe for testing prophecy, and that's one house rule now that Paul has given us for prophecy when we are gathered together. Let just two or three prophesy and let the others weigh what is said. And another rule for prophecy, if you look at verse 30, Paul says, if revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets so just picture this gathering in Corinth one person sharing what they believe the holy spirit has revealed to them and paul says now another person there thinks they've received a revelation from the spirit of god paul says let the first person now what be silent so that the other can share. And it's a second time now where Paul tells someone in the body to be silent. One person again yielding, deferring to another Christian this picture of submission again. You, you don't just barge ahead in the body of Christ, make way for just you and your spiritual gift. But you yield to other believers to edify the body, which is love and 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 paul has now indicated clearly in this text he has now indicated clearly that with both the gifts of tongues and with prophecy you can control them you can control them some people act like tongues and prophecy are uncontrollable The the Spirit moves on you, and you just have to blurt it out right then. I actually had that experience preaching at the Union Gospel Mission. Right in the middle of my sermon, a man stood up and just started blurting out in what I think he thought was the gift of tongues. And I asked him to stop. Because it's not uncontrollable, and the Spirit doesn't interrupt himself. If the Spirit was talking through me while I was preaching, the Spirit would not do something like that it was just not done decently and in order as Paul gets at in these chapters. So some people think these gifts are uncontrollable but Paul just said that with both tongues and prophecy you can be silent if the situation is not appropriate for you to speak. Paul says in verse 32 that the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets meaning i think simply that the spirit within you the, the, the Holy Spirit who empowers you with these tongues or with prophecy, well, the Holy Spirit will never force you to speak uncontrollably right then. Gordon Fee says this. He says, The Spirit does not possess or overpower the speaker. Rather, the Spirit is subject to the prophet or tongue speaker. Look at that line. Rather, the Spirit is subject to the prophet or tongues speaker which is absolutely amazing if we've read this correctly then paul has just said that the holy spirit will at times subject himself to you when it comes to the use of these gifts The Holy Spirit might empower them in you at some point. You sense the Spirit moving you to maybe speak in tongues or with a prophecy. But the Spirit then gives you some control over when and how you speak those things. If the Spirit is empowering you to speak in tongues, but there's no one there to interpret, Paul says, be quiet. Now, he doesn't say your tongues are inauthentic. He says, be silent and pray just to yourself and to God. And if the Spirit is energizing you with a prophecy of some sort, you can be silent if it's not in good order within that church meeting. He doesn't say they're inauthentic. But the Spirit will subject himself at times to you with these gifts. And it's just this idea of submission once again. And we should always then, when we do speak in any gathering meeting of the church, with either tongues or prophecy, we should speak in this orderly manner here as God has prescribed. And why? Look at verse 33 again. Why do we speak in this order God has given us? For, here's the reason, this is the ground statement, the reason. For, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Why should we aim for good order in all of our gatherings as a church with all of our spiritual gifts? Why should we aim with order? Because our God is a God of order. He's a God of peace, Paul says. He's not a God of confusion. He's not a God of chaos. You walk into a church service and it's just pandemonium? Good chance that's not God. Now, Paul doesn't say there, get rid of the spiritual gifts then, because God is a God of order. He doesn't say that. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, but let's practice them in the order God has given us here. Because our God is a God of order. And listen, and please catch this. The way we meet together as a church, the way we worship together as a church, that is a reflection of our God. Gordon Fee says this. He says the theological point is crucial. The character of one's deity is reflected in the character of one's worship. So the way we meet and worship together is a reflection of God himself. And because our God is a God of order, a God of peace and not a God of confusion, we must aim to worship together with all of our spiritual gifts with a good and healthy order that God has given us here. If you look down at verse 40 at the end of the passage, Paul says, but all things should be done decently and in order. And that is a reflection of God himself, a God of order. A God of peace. And what is the good and healthy order for prophecy? Well, Paul's laying it out for us here in our meetings. Paul's already said, let just two or three prophesy, deferring to one another. If there's another one that has a revelation, the first is to be silent. And Paul says, let everybody weigh all the prophecy. And one final house rule, I believe, that Paul gives us here for this gift of prophecy. Look at the end of verse 33, if you will. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Amen. Let's pray, and we'll go home. (laughs) Leave it to Paul, when you're trying to finish the sermon series, to pack a very notoriously difficult few verses, right at the end. That's Paul for you. I have about three minutes to explain it. So let me just cut to the chase. We can cover men's and women's roles more in the future. I'll cut to the chase a bit. Some commentators, some churches, have taken that to be an absolute prohibition against women speaking at all in church gatherings. Women, they say, should never speak in a service like this. So, in a few minutes, we will practice church discipline on Mary Oswald. Uh, (laughs) No, that is not what Paul is saying that women can never speak at all in the service. Paul says very clearly, 1, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that a woman can pray and prophesy in a gathered meeting if it's done decently and orderly like everything else we're supposed to be so this cannot be an absolute prohibition no woman speaking at all so what is paul saying here well it's probably connected to what he just said about prophecy in particular to the weighing of prophecy in the gathered church paul says clearly in first corinthians 11 that a woman can prophesy in a meeting. So he's not turning around now and saying, Oh, but women don't prophesy in a meeting. No, he's not saying that. So what Paul is saying here is probably connected to the public weighing of prophecy. If someone in a gathered meeting gives a prophetic word, we we all as Christians have the responsibility to weigh that prophecy. To, to listen, to think, to, to pray about it, to, to sift it. But when it comes to the public weighing of a prophecy, in a service like this, someone actually stepping up to the mic and saying, I think this part of that prophecy was probably true and from God. I, I think this part might not have been from the Lord. Most commentators believe Paul was now reserving here that public weighing of prophecy for the male leadership of the church. Paul, on multiple occasions in the Bible, he says that God has given the primary leadership position in the home and the church to men. It doesn't mean that men are better leaders than women. They're not at times. It doesn't mean that men are better than women period in the eyes of god they're not we are equal in god's eyes but paul says multiple times in the bible that god has given the primary headship leadership position in a home and in a church to men and every time paul says that in the bible well he mentions creation The Garden of Eden, the created order of men and women. Paul talks there all the time when he mentions these things. He talks back about creation, Genesis 1 and 2, about how man was created first, the woman second. How the man was given authority over his wife and so on. And because, Paul says, of that created order back in the Garden of Eden... In the home, then, wives should submit to their own husbands as appropriate in the Lord, Ephesians chapter 5. And in the church, Paul says, First Timothy 2, he does not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over the man. The reason why we have only male elders here in this church. We believe that is biblical. Because God has given that primary place of authoritative leadership and teaching to men, to male elders in a local church. Now pause for a second. I realize our culture does not like what I just said at all. Our culture does not like at all any talk of male headship or leadership, particularly in our day now. There's just been a huge revolt against any sort of of male leadership in our culture. But We believe strongly that what I just said is very, very biblical. And when should the church ever be controlled by the culture? Never. Ever. Ever. The church should dictate to the culture what is correct and right. But never be dictated by the culture. And man, this thing, male and female issues. And and Paul now seems to connect connect this, the spiritual gifts... It seems to connect this male leadership in the church to the public weighing of prophecy. Women, Paul says, should keep silent. Not in all an absolute prohibition. Women can't speak at all. Not like that. But in the public weighing of prophecy, the final decision with any prophecy in a gathered meeting of the church be left to the male elders. Then, Paul says, the women should be in submission. As the law says he adds, probably looking back again to creation. You know, what some people have tried to say is that, well, these things were just cultural in Paul's day. This is the way men and women got along in Paul's day. That's why he's saying that, but that doesn't apply to us today. That's not true. Because every time Paul talks about male and female issues in the church and the home, where does he look? Creation, Genesis 1 and 2. This is the created order that God has given to to men and women. Because of God's created order, start of Genesis, therefore the women should leave the authoritative public weighing of prophecy to the male elders of the church. And you know, with this whole thing, Paul was probably speaking there to a specific issue in Corinth. You know, one thing we know about Corinth, their gatherings were chaotic. Chaotic. At times they, they were speaking with uninterpreted tongues, which they were not supposed to do People, paul said earlier were actually getting drunk when they took the lord's supper <laughs> We use grape juice. So good luck with that Another indication by the way that their 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 wine back then wasn't just grape juice People were getting drunk with this stuff at the lord's supper When's the last time you saw somebody get drunk with grape juice? Never doesn't happen but they were doing it in Corinth, all this stuff, this chaotic stuff in the church. And it seems from the rest of 1 Corinthians that the women there were maybe not living with a proper respect or honor for the male leaders of the church or for their own husbands. And it's very possible with this public weighing of prophecy in the church, very possible that the women were speaking up, maybe even rebuking the leaders of the church, maybe even rebuking in public their own husbands when they didn't agree. The reason most likely why why Paul says, verse 35, that if a woman, or the Greek word could be wife, if a wife desires to learn anything, let her ask her husband at home, probably referring to these prophecies and the weighing of these prophecies. Don't refute your husband in public, wives. It seems that he might have been saying talk with Your husband later behind closed doors. Paul, you know, bottom line is he's probably just putting things here into their rightful created order. All of us with a responsibility to weigh prophecy internally, thinking about it, praying about it. But the male leaders in the church with the final authority in the public weighing of all prophecy. D.A. Carson says this. He says, women, of course, may participate in such prophesyings. That was established in chapter 11. Paul's point here, however, is that they may not participate in the oral weighing of such prophecies. Or another commentator from the New English Translation Study Bible says this. He says, here, Paul would be indicating that the women should not speak up during such an evaluation of prophecy, since such questioning would be in violation of the submission to male leadership that the Old Testament calls for, specifically in the law, example genesis 2 at creation so that's a shot at what paul is talking about here but i want you to just pause now i want you to just think about what paul just said because we have just heard now the third time where paul has asked someone to be silent for various reasons submission once again paul just used that exact word for women in the weighing of prophecy they should be in submission Paul says. And you know what? No wonder our culture hates this stuff I just talked about, men and women. Our culture just hates submission. Period. We do not like to submit to other people unless we're getting a paycheck and then we might. We don't like to submit. But submission is all over the word of God. It's the way God has created us to function, to submit in various good and healthy ways. And submission runs all through this text, as Paul keeps telling different people to be silent. You know, when the church is gathered, we must all just be in proper submission to one another. As God has outlined here, not just barging ahead, you and, and your spiritual gift, talking just any time you want, but yielding, deferring, submitting to others, which is love. And here it is, it's 1 Corinthians thirteen five. Paul said it earlier, love does not insist on its own way but love submits defers to others in rightful ways and here's the beautiful thing here this submission we have for one another in the body of Christ it's just a great picture of God himself It's a great picture of Christ on this earth. You know, Jesus on this earth, he didn't just do his own thing, but was submitted to God the Father. Doing not his own will, but his Father's will, all the way to the cross. And you know, Jesus on the cross, in in some sense, he was even submitted there to some degree to you and me. Submitted to us in love, not insisting on his own way, on his own good, but yielding there, surrendering there for the good of you and me in order that all of us who truly trust in Christ might be forgiven of our sin. Jesus, at all times in his life, he demonstrated just this perfect submission. And Jesus now says here to all of his followers, now go and do likewise. Now go and do likewise as you've seen in me with a perfect submission at all the right times, now you go and do likewise. And your submission as a Christian in rightful ways, well, that's a really good reflection of Christ himself. So, Paul has now given us here some really good house rules. General guidelines for the practice of both tongues and prophecy in our gathered meetings and paul now finishes this section he concludes now i think he's really concluding all three of these chapters on the spiritual gifts he concludes now with one final appeal calling all believers now to obey his instructions in these chapters if you look at verse 37 he says if anyone thinks that he's a prophet or spiritual he should acknowledge that the things i'm writing to you are a command of the lord if anyone does not recognize this, he's not recognized. So my brothers, or so my brothers and sisters, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So these instructions, believers, that we've covered over the last few months now, in these three chapters, Paul says here, they are a command from the Lord himself. And anyone who does not recognize these commands will not be recognized, Paul says, by God. And Paul's final take-home message here, final commands from God for this whole series. Brothers and sisters, when you gather, do not forbid speaking in tongues, as some churches would do. But he's told us, let those tongues be interpreted and earnestly desire, Paul says, that you might prophesy so that all might be edified and do all things, Christians, with your spiritual gifts decently and in order. Because our God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace, of order. And as Gordon Fee said, the character of one's deity is reflected In the character of one's worship. So, those are the chapters now here for just a couple of minutes. I want to just quickly give a couple of specific guidelines for how we might practice these particular gifts of tongues and prophecy in our own CRC church family. You know, God has given us general guidelines here, good house rules in the scripture, and we now want to apply these things to our particular context here. We'll talk about these things more in the coming weeks and months after the summer, a little more practical teaching, uh, training on exactly how we might practice the gifts of the Spirit in our own context here. We're considering in the fall doing a quick two to three uh, week sermon series on worship and we'll talk about some of the practical use of our spiritual gifts. Then uh, we'll also probably get something to you in writing, just some guidelines for our church, how we will practice some of, of these gifts in our church family. Let me just mention a couple of things. In our service here on Sunday mornings, we will most likely have a few more boundaries, um, some safeguards with our spiritual gifts on Sunday mornings. Andrew Wilson says that when we use our spiritual gifts, we need to know the difference between the shallow and deep end contexts. We need to know the difference between shallow and deep ends of the pool. Andrew Wilson says this. He says, a Sunday morning service would be shallow end. There are lots of visitors, new people, and unbelievers present, many of whom have not yet learned to swim in the spiritual gifts, so you need to be careful not to drown them. In practice, that means making the meeting as safe as possible, explaining things carefully, and preventing it from descending into a spiritual gift free-for-all. So, we will probably treat Sunday morning more like the shallow end of the pool, especially because our gatherings are large compared to Corinth, we are very large, need a little tighter boundaries here. But some of the things we might do on Sunday mornings, we will probably begin to make a little more room in our services for the present move of the Spirit. We'll just give a little more flexibility in our service to do things in the moment as God might lead. We we will leave a little more time probably in our services to pray for people for various things. We will probably train up a prayer ministry team that will be available on Sundays to pray as the Spirit leads. And we want the Spirit to give us prophecies on Sunday morning. God has commanded multiple times in these chapters that when we are together, we must earnestly desire that we might prophesy. Having said that, we want to do that with appropriate boundaries. So, We will ask people not to call out just bluntly in the service with something they feel the Lord has revealed to them that would not, we don't think, be in good submission or order here. But we will ask people to approach one of our elders, probably either Thomas or me here in the front rows. Approach one of our elders up front here. Uh, let, let us know what you're sensing and the elders will then make a decision on it. The elders might choose to share it themselves. I could step up and give the sense of that thing or the elders might ask you if you want to step up and, and share it. Or we might choose to kind of hold on to that thing and not share it uh, right at that time. And we will probably aim to practice the gift of tongues in a similar manner. We would ask you not to just pray out loud in tongues with no interpretation. It's not biblical. Churches that do it, it's just not biblical. But if you sense the Spirit is leading you to speak in tongues, we would ask, as Paul says, that you would pray for the interpretation. That God would tell you what that thing is, that you're going to pray in tongues. And if you think the Spirit gives you the interpretation, again, approach one of the elders. Let them know that you think you have a prayer in tongues you'd like to share and you think you have the interpretation. The elders will then make the decision on if and how that might be shared To the church. Something like that uh, most likely in our services. Treating this as more of the shallow end of the pool. We think that's good and right. We'll see. We're still fleshing things out a bit. We'll talk more about that. Now thinking outside of our Sunday service, then in our life group meetings or our prayer meetings and so on, well those would be more of the deep end context where we can practice things a little bit more. Or we're talking now about maybe having some monthly worship nights where we could then step out a little more with some of these spiritual gifts, practice them a little more. Andrew Wilson says this, he says, a midweek prayer meeting, by contrast, might be deepened. There are few, if any, visitors, no unbelievers, and virtually everyone there is a committed member of the church, and as such, you can afford to be more open with the spiritual gifts and take more risks, since you know everyone can swim, hopefully, in the spiritual gifts. The upshot of this is that deep-end contexts are very helpful for growing in the use of spiritual gifts, since they allow for people to try and to fail and learn from their mistakes and try again. And those smaller group contexts, considering our size here, are probably the best places to try and try again with some of the spiritual gifts. We'll talk more later about how that might happen. But the bottom line with our spiritual gifts is this. We do want people to try. We, we want to earnestly desire all the gifts as God commands. We want to use the gifts that God gives us. So we will encourage all of us to step out in faith and try. We don't want to lean in the direction of fear. No, grace gives you freedom. Freedom to try, freedom to fail, freedom to try again. And we want to lean in the direction, not of fear, but of trying. Fear is controlling. People end up doing nothing. They talk about a lot of things, but don't really do much at all. Fear controls. And God hasn't asked us to live by a spirit of fear, but power and love and of sound mind. God gives his people freedom, freedom to try. That's grace. And God is a very kind father. You know, parents, when, you, when your kids learn to walk and they stumbled and fell, you didn't scold them. No, you encourage them just for taking a step. <laughs> Great job, man. And maybe you'll get two steps next time. And that's our father. He's so pleased when we just try, when we step out in faith with our spiritual gifts in obedience to his word. So we'll encourage everyone to step out in faith. And listen, when we miss it with the spiritual gifts, and let me just go on record, we will miss it. We will miss it, and that's okay. God loves us, and we will learn together. And when we miss it, we'll just aim to walk in love with one another. Great job. You tried. You'll do better next time. We want to be motivated. We want to be shaped. We want to be molded by love for one another. First Corinthians 13, and love, when you're using the spiritual gifts, love is patient. Love is kind. Paul said love is not irritable. Love is not resentful. So we'll put up with each other as we try and step out in faith with the spiritual gifts. And we believe that as we practice our spiritual gifts more in love for God and for one another, God will do some amazing things in and through our church family. We thank God for how he has instructed us in his word. Father, we bless your holy name this morning. We do believe, as Paul said here, that we are to heed these chapters 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Paul's words here at, at the end. If any do not recognize these things, they will not be recognized by God. So we want to recognize what you've said. We want to recognize the apostolic commands. The commands from the Lord, Paul says. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for these things. We trust these commands are for our good. They're for our joy in you. We trust, Father, that even as we've heard testimony today from Kevin and Mary, we'll hear more and more of these testimonies, your Spirit leading us in really good and amazing ways. So, Father, we would say yes. Help us to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Help us, Lord God, to practice them in biblical ways. Help us to practice them in love for you, and for one another. And we simply ask that you would be glorified in our midst by giving us many manifestations of the Spirit, manifesting yourself in us, in and through the gifts of the Spirit. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen.